Socially Aware, Episode 1, When the Looting Starts. The following is a clip of James Baldwin from a 1989 American Masters documentary. What is it you wanted me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress? Thank you for joining us. This is Socially Aware. On this show, we seek to understand how our societies came to be the way it is and where it is that we're headed. We really want to challenge the concept that says the way we're currently organized is how it needs to be for things to work out well for most people. We'll cover topics including future of work, climate change, wealth inequality, developed versus developing countries, amongst others. Um, I, this goes kind of goes without saying, but I don't have all the answers here. Um, but I think it's really time we start like really digging deep into these questions and see what answers are out there so we can actually really start to change societies and move forward in a way that's real and tangible. I'm your host, KC, just another kid from Maryland. Let's get it. Hello, once again. Um, So this is the first episode of uh, podcast, Socially Aware. And this episode gets its name, um, the name, which is uh, when the Luden starts, gets its name from a tweet from uh, the 45th president of the United States. Um, In response to the recent protests of police brutality and the portion of the tweet that's relevant um, is when the looting starts, the shooting starts, Um, quote unquote. So um, the recent protests really inspired me to start this podcast that I've really had in the back of my mind, I've wanted to start. Um, I used to have a a radio show back when I was in school. um, And it was a really good way to kind of talk about politics, talk about things concerning Africa. And it was interesting getting those phone calls and having people engage with you at like 3 a.m. because this was like, you know, on the radio station, like, If it's your first time or if you haven't been there that long, um, you get like these slots in the middle of the night. Those are the only ones that are available. And when you get a call from a listener at 3 a.m., it really freaks you out because you're like, wait, what kind of people like stay up at 3 a.m. and listen to a college radio station and even calls in to like ask interesting questions? Um, But yeah, so I've always I've wanted to like get back into that and actually like start a real podcast. Um, so this really triggered, uh, triggered me and like, actually like, I'm like, okay, 
I really need to start one. Um, I want to be able to like voice what, what I'm thinking and engage with people on these topics rather than just like have it sit in the back of my head. Um, and the main message that I think, or the through line of this podcast, um, which was demonstrated by the recent protests, um, but also it's been something that's been stated long before, um, and that is power concedes nothing without demand. Now, that statement there comes from Frederick Douglass. The speech was made um, in August on August 3rd, 1857, on the anniversary of the West India Emancipation um, in New York. This is the 23rd anniversary. Um, and as most of you would realize, this is before the Civil War. So this kind of like seemed in after the fact, it kind of seemed to be like a foretelling of the coming Civil War. Um, I'm reading this from blackpass.org. So starts. Let me give you give you a word of the philosophy of reform. The whole history of the progress of human liberty shows that all concessions yet made to her august claim have been born of earnest struggle. The conflict has been exciting, agitating, all absorbing, and for all the time being put in all other and for the time being put in all other turmoils to silence. It must do this or it does nothing. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. For those who profess freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops yet plowing up the without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one, or may be a physical one, and it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. On May 25th, 2020, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, police killed George Floyd after a convenience store clerk called the cops on the use of a counterfeit $20 bill. Four cops showed up. Derek Chauvin killed this man with a knee to his neck for a sustained nine minutes. After which, a video spread of the encounter. The next day, protests... Um, erupted in Minneapolis. All of this happened in the context of 40 million unemployed in the United States, 110,000 dead from COVID-19, still during the lockdown, as some states were starting to ease some of the lockdown, only $1,200 dispersed uh, by the federal government, this is years following previous protests since 2014 and the rise of Black Matter uh, movement. This is also following funding for the police departments, 
that has increased by 445% over the past 30 years. Um, this is all the while, while violent crime has been on a global decrease. So the United States have been funding its police department way more um, than anywhere else in the world. And global and violent crime has been on the decline. Um, a program 1033, authorized by Bill Clinton, rolled back by Obama, and then brought back by the current president, President Trump. This program allows police departments to request surplus military gear. The value of this equipment is stunning, as it is used against the very people um, who paid for it, which are the taxpayers. Uh, so this is what kind of what's used to get these like when you see these tanks and all these other like very um, militarized equipment that the police have is because of this uh, program. Now, I want to play a sound from the protests. And the clip I'm going to play is from a th is from the first weekend of these protests. It's a discussion that's being had between a 31 year old, 46 year old and a 16 year old black males. And pretty much they are discussing what is the best way to affect change. How do we get people to be held accountable for the blatant disregard of life um, without sacrificing futures unnecessarily? So uh, I want to play this clip before I play it um, in order to help us also understand this. I want to play a little bit of MLK and his understanding of whether to riot or not to riot. That'll also help in this discussion that these gentlemen have that I'll play right after. Let me say, as I've always said, and I will always continue to say, that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that non-violence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve, and that in a real sense it is impractical for the Negro to even think of mounting a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way. Continue to affirm that there is another way. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last 
few years, it has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met, and it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. So that was MLK. And as eloquent as ever, he, in a matter of a few minutes, he accomplishes a lot um, in that um, speech. So he states his position, which is nonviolent protests, um, and so just, you know, the marches and sit-ins. He also states the fact that even today we ignore, which is that if people are going to say they're against rioting, they're against looting or any type of public property damage, they can't then say that without then equally condemning the conditions that people are rioting. Riots don't arise out of thin air. There's a reason for them. And if you don't want people to riot, you need to speak to them and understand why they're rioting. Why would someone riot? Why would someone get out on the street? And this, and even today, what we're talking about, most of them are peaceful. But the other fact is that if we ever did have like sustained period of riots, they are, like he says, language of the unheard. So one is, you know, currently we're dealing with protests, but even if we weren't, like this is how people who don't feel they, who feel they don't have any other means get their point across. If the protests were able to be out of sight, if you couldn't see them, then you wouldn't bother listening to what it is that they're asking for. You would just see them as, oh, there's just someone who's holding a sign. I don't have to look at the sign. I could just go on my way. But fundamentally, nothing will change for that person with a sign. But if there are people in every city asking for the same thing, which is accountability, then it forces you to pay attention. But this sort of question about the method with which black people use, um, for this case specifically, um, to get make their voices heard is one that black the black community is also having, as shown in the following clip. Why we we worried about this? I understand, but we won't stand up for. I understand. They get killed on the day. Talk to me. I understand. How do you? I'm tired of this. How do you? I'm 45 years old. 45 and I'm 31, and I'm tired of seeing. And you the older generation than me, and I have too. And we've been standing around as the older ones taking all this bullshit. Always hoping for a kumbaya fucking yacht. Come here. Always standing around for a kumbaya. Ain't nobody coming to protect us. Let me tell you. We gotta start our own fucking life. I understand. But let me tell you something right here. This 16. He's 16. He's 16. What we gonna do? You tell me. What we gonna do? This ain't the way. Mm, 
ain't ready to let loose. If the United States president say, if you lose this shoot, we know we shoot. I know it. It's on the way. It's time to stand up. At this point, at this point, I'm ready to die for what's going on. Let me tell you something. That's the problem that we got. You see right now, it's going to happen 10 years from now. And at 26, you're going to be doing the same thing I'm doing. So what I need to do right now at 16 is come up with a better way. Because how we doing it, it ain't working. He angry at 46. I'm angry at 31. You angry at 16. You understand me? Putting yourself in harm's way is not the way. No, it's not. You and the other your counterparts the same age and that have that same power. Y'all come up with a better way. Cause we ain't doing it. Oh my God. And I have a five-year-old son. Oh and it ain't happening. Mm. Mm. I watched four years ago. Keep Lamont Scott did the same shit y'all do. The same exact thing night after night. Wow. Like, seriously, every time I listen to that, it's just like, you can like, you can feel like just the raw emotions there um, from everyone. Um, And yeah, it's what's crazy and what's kind of very frustrating for people is the fact that I can just go back and forth with these clips from today go back to clips from 2014, go back to clips from 1992, go back to clips from the civil rights era and just have these conversations. And you see people like bringing up the same issues and bringing up the same um, kind of rationale for why things are, you know, happening the way they are. But in the end, it just makes people frustrated um, in that clip this 31-year-old was asking the 16-year-old to find another way. Um, And I can understand the sense of, like, helplessness. Um, That's kind of, like, you feel, because it just seems like so much energy is being expended when you protest. It's not just, like, people don't just go out in the streets because they have time on their hands. Um, There's so much energy that's being expended, but then like when nothing happens, when things return to normal, it just brings a sense of like helplessness to those that like had so much hope going into it. But what's great and what's different about these protests as we see is that the needle is moving. The conversation is changing. Before, we were still arguing about whether or not these things were happening. But today, we're arguing about the type of solutions we want. The right side of the argument is, oh, reforms are all we need. We just need slightly different reforms. Like, that's the, that's the furthest right people are able to go. And the left side 
is talking about defunding. We'll get into that later. Um, but I think, I think I want to play one more clip that kind of just like talks about why people riot and what it is that has this 31 year old, 46 year old, 16 year old. What is it that they want? What do they actually, um, why is it that they're in the streets? Is it just because of the police? Like what, what, what is it that black people want? The reason that black people are in the streets has to do with the lives they're forced to lead in this country. And they're forced to lead these lives by the indifference and the um, apathy and a certain kind of ignorance, a very willful ignorance on the part of their co-citizens. Everybody knows, no matter what they do not know, that they wouldn't like to be a black man in this country. They know that and they shut their minds against the rest of it, all the implications of being a black father or a black woman or a black son. And all of the implications involved in a human being's endeavor to take care of his wife, to take care of his children, to raise his children to be men and women in the teeth of a structure which is built to deny that I can be a human being or that my child can be. The great question in the country has been all the years that I've been living here and I was born here 43 years ago, is what does a Negro want? And this question masks a terrible knowledge. I want exactly what you want. And you know what you want. I want to be left alone. I don't want any of the things that people accuse Negroes of wanting. And I don't hate you. I simply want to be able to raise my children in peace and arrive at my own maturity in my own way, in peace. I don't want to be defined by you. I think that you and I might learn a great deal from each other if you can overcome the curtain of my color, the curtain of my color is what you use to avoid facing the facts of our common history, the facts of American life. It is easy to call me a Negro or a nigger or a promising black man, but in fact, I'm a man like you. I want to live like you. Yeah. And yeah, so it's that, I think it's that simple. I, I, in essence, like what it boils down to, to what people are asking for is just a sense of like being able to live a life and not having to fear the institutions around you that was set up to protect you, that was set up to help you. Um, so simply the declaration of, of, of independence, which I know when it was written, did not apply to um, black people at the time, but simply says life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and I don't think you can have those things without being able to guarantee that your life is just as important as any other citizen's life. And it's crazy that when that was brought up, when this is before these protests, when this was brought up, just saying Black Lives Matter always elicited the response that all lives matter. As if the previous statements negates the follow, the latter. Um, I know most people were probably just being obtuse, but people, some people thought they were being smart by just retorting in this fashion. Um, but yeah, so we've had these protests. Um, they've been ongoing um, for what seems to be almost two weeks now. And, um, you know, some people take them as, oh my gosh, like what's going on? The world has fallen apart. Uh, kind of thing. But this is a very much part of American history. Um, yeah, so I want to read before I get into a bit of the history. I want to read this tweet uh, that from which we bring the title of uh, this episode. It's Trump's tweet ended up being half of it. Twitter did end up having to put uh, put a label on because um, it was inciting violence, according to Twitter. Uh, but we'll read it from the president. Quote, I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city, Minneapolis. A total lack of leadership. Either way, either the very weak, radical left mayor, Jacob Fry, Fry? I think it's Frey. I don't know. Get, get his act together and bring this city under control, or I will send in the National Guard and get the job done right. These thugs, capitalized thugs, are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Waltz and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. The president, um, after the death of a man by police hands, um, seems to just be more concerned with um, the fact that there are protests um, rather than like trying to really address what the people are protesting. But like I said, um, protests are in the backbone of American history. 2014, we had the Ferguson protests um, that arise after, I think, the the cop was acquitted or something. Um, but anyway, it, I don't think it went to trial. I don't think the grand jury convicted. I think that's what it was. Um, but 2014, people started protesting in Ferguson. Occupy Wall Street happened after the banks got bailed out after the Great Recession in 2000. Um, Occupy Wall Street was 2010. Um, protests of our Iraq War during the Bush era. LA riots after Rodney King. The March on Washington. Selma. These were MLK. 
the abolish uh, the abolishment of slavery that movement um, that was quite violent. There wasn't like a specific like protest kind of quote unquote, but it was a very violent endeavor. Um, you know, we did eventually go to a civil war, so that's where it ended. But also, we have the Boston Tea Party, the Boston Massacre, the Stamp Act riots. Um, and this is one that we actually don't learn about that much, or we don't talk about that much in school. Um, but it was also a predecessor to um, the actual Revolutionary War. It was in 1765. Um, the stamp, the it was, it was, they were rioting because of uh, stamp tax. Um, which stated that all printed material in America was supposed to be taxed for Britain coffers, Britain's coffers. Unsurprisingly, it was wildly unpopular, and riots emerged in the streets of Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, Philadelphia, and elsewhere. The Stamp Act Congress, formed of American lawyers and politicians, drafted an angry declaration on why the British Crown had no right to tax Americans on anything at all. The Stamp Act was replaced by... A rattled British was repealed by a rattled British government in March of 1766, and the stage was set for a bigger rebellion known as the Boston Tea Party. Um, this is from um, Bustle.com. But yeah, so the history of protests is all over American history, um, starting with the founding fathers and still ongoing as people feel that the government or whoever is supposed to be represented it isn't acting in accordance with what was stated either in the constitution or in the laws, people protest. It's a very American thing to do. Um, and don't let people tell you that, um, you know, you're kind of misbehaving or stepping out of line because that is what a protest is. Protest isn't you, um, obeying all the rules and like walking down the street with a t-shirt on. So in response to the protests, um, we had curfews all over the cities. And with these curfews, it kind of gave a pretty much established like a rule that you can now break just by being outside. Because technically they couldn't stop people from being outside if they weren't committing any crimes. Because if these were just uh, protests of like tons of peaceful protests of people in the streets, there's nothing... Um, that the government could do other than like, just make sure that, you know, there wasn't vandalism or, or stuff. But anyway, most of these governments, uh, these cities put curfews in place. Um, and with those curfews, they can now crack down on people who broke curfews. Cause now there's a rule or a law that they're trying to, um, chase down. And what this led to was very violent, uh, police brutality as a response to the protests, protesting police brutality. This to anyone might seem like not the best response or a way to prove your point. If you were on the side of the police, that there weren't, you know, insistent force, or maybe this was the police trying to show that, Hey, we could use all the force we want. You will do what we say. I don't know. But there was a lot of people who captured images of seemingly peaceful protesters with no one 
instigating except for the cops. And you can look this up. There are a bunch of threads on Twitter. Um, there's this account at Greg Duchette, um, G-R-E-G underscore D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E. There's a thread they, that they have there from May 30th. Um, I think that has, at the point that I looked, like 290-some accounts of police brutality. Um, they had flashbangs, tear gas, billy clubs, pepper spray, pepper balls. Um, and this really only reinforced the point that the protesters were trying to make, which is that our police department is unaccountable. Um, yeah, so this didn't, wasn't just isolated to the U.S. Um, these protests were happened, spread worldwide in Canada. They had protests, Toronto, uh, other places in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Britain, France, Germany, Brazil, Spain, Italy, Ireland, Poland, Denmark, Netherlands, even Israel, Sudan, South Africa, Japan, Korea. Uh, there are protests all over. Um, there's a few funny things that occurred uh, with these protests because the U.S. has also been having this conversation about like uh, Confederate statues, uh, which is a very silly conversation if you think about it, um, because they were put up at a time to kind of reinforce um, wh white supremacy kind of remind black people as they were trying, starting to, um, you know, get a little bit more civil rights, I guess, not the full like civil rights of the 1960s, but as like reconstruction was happening and blacks were starting to move up in the world, there's a small group of, what is it? Daughters of Liberty. I forgot what they're called. Daughters of, I don't know, daughters of something. Um, they decided, hey, we need to build statues all over American cities. And it was kind of used as a deterrent to just remind black people of their place. So we have these statues all over the South, even in places in the North and in the U.S. And um, there's been this conversation of just like, hey, why do we have a statue of someone who was treasonous to the United States? Um, why do we have these statues all over the state house or places that, you know, it should be illegal uh, to have statues of people who wanted to secede from your nation? Um, but so, um, yeah, so apparently the UK has been having that as well um, with one of its statues. And there is one statue that they um, tore down, um, they pushed into a river. And people got mad at the people that who protesters who did that. They were saying like, hey, why don't you like go through like the legal methods, you know, pass laws and make a vote. This is you. This is um, you are taking decisions into your own hands and not using the proper methods. And then everyone else on the thread were just like, hey, we actually people did pass laws and the majority wanted this removed, but it was still never removed, you know. Um, but anyway, and I saw this morning, I saw a thread of like a few people like trying to like fish the few just random citizens trying to fish the statue out back from the river. And this statue was a guy who was a slaveholder. Um, and their justification is always like, Oh, it's history, you know? And people are always like, 
well, Germany doesn't put statues of Hitler everywhere. That's history, you know? Like, you could still remember people without, like, glorifying them in statues. Um, but that was just a little aside. The main thing here, uh, oh, there's a few few more funny things that come in the context of kind of these protests spreading wide. Um, China and Iran started pointing out the irony in the U.S., when it criticizes them with their repression of protesters in their country, the U.S. generally says like, oh, you know, Iran has a bad like totalitarian government. Look at how it's treating its protesters in its country that just wants to liberate. Look at how China is treating Hong Kong protesters um, that just wants to liberate and get their freedom. But yet when it comes to its own cities, you heard the president very much so not thinking about the citizens, much more so thinking of just like complete law and order and trying to get a um, get everyone back into their houses and not protesting, ignoring what it is that they were asking for. So, yeah, so that's kind of like the protests in summary. Um, the main question here is we're two weeks in. What have these protests achieved? You know, what has happened? Well, um, whether or not you choose to believe it, this is what has happened as a, since the protests. Cops, the cops who were actually involved in the death of George Floyd got captured or got um, arrested. <laughs> uh, I don't think they were like hiding away. Maybe they were, but they got they were arrested um, three days later for the main cop, Derek. Chauvin. Um, he initially had third degree manslaughter. The protests kept going on three days later. Um, and then it was eventually the, the case was handed over to, it went from, it went to the attorney general of Minneapolis from the district attorney for the district that covers many, um, the attorney general of Minnesota from the district attorney that covered Minneapolis. So now the attorney general of Minnesota upgraded the charge to a second-degree manslaughter or second-degree murder and um, also charged the other three officers, which is what people were asking for. Um, with the calls to defund, now I'm picking up speed and like kind of being the main consistent ask for these protesters. Uh, mayors all over the city have sort of kind of gave into it in some way, but not really like fully passing a law to agree with it. Um, but it may sound radical defunding the police. What does that mean? Like, why would you defund it? We need it for protection. But what you need to understand is like, we've been defunding the education system, healthcare system, like other systems that people use We've been defunding that and like giving more responsibilities to the police. So I think what most people are asking for is a way to rebalance that and give and narrow the segment of issues police are responsible for and like create more social workers, create more te like get more teachers and like give more avenue for the government to take hold like to do things in a way that doesn't require people with guns and like the license to kill um, being in charge of that. 
So New York area, um, you know, the mayor gave this loose notion of like, oh yeah, I may reduce police budget um, and increase social services. Nothing set in stone yet, but at least getting him to voice that is a big change given like how the mayor and the governor of uh, New York um, and New York City has been responding to the protests all this while, which is completely on the side of police and like saying like, oh, the police have been acting great. I'm not sure what people are talking about in terms of the police brutality during the protests, which people have video of. Um, in Minneapolis, uh, there's a, a veto-proof majority of the city council promised to create a new system of public safety, um, ban chokeholds, strangleholds, and the schools cut ties with the police department, which is great, um, especially the cut in ties. It's crazy. Like There are schools that have police officers, but don't have like social workers or like guidance counselors, you know, but they'll have police officers and that's not what you want. Um, they talk about the school to prison pipeline and that's one of, you know, sources of that, which is like not providing other avenues for students or people to get help. Um, in Philadelphia, four council members are asking police to refrain from using rubber bullets, tear gas, and pepper spray on demonstrators. California, a group of lawmakers, is set to introduce legislation outlining when uh, officers can use their bullets. Um, the mayor of L.A. is saying that they're going to try to find $250 million to invest in community um, and to invest in the community, including cuts to LAPD. Um, up to LAPD, which currently has a budget of $3 billion. Um, move in training, more training and implicit bias, de-escalation and crowd control training. Uh, they tweeted that last part out and someone was just like, wait, you guys don't already do this? Like, what, what are you, what are you doing? How, how, how are they not trained in implicit bias, de-escalation and crowd control? Um, we've already had, uh, a go at this because since 2014, Minneapolis have also like done a lot of these recommendations and trainings, implicit bias, body cameras that the Obama administration recommended. And we see what happened, you know, five, six years later. So it's clear that just minor reforms around the edges is not what we need here. We actually need to retool how we think about public, um, the public sector in terms of the police, education, um, social services. Like we need to rebalance those because we're giving police too many responsibilities and only training them to do a very few set of things and giving them a license to kill on top of that. So that is not the way I think we want to organize this. Um, in D.C., um, the mayor on Friday, this past Friday, uh, what is it? The, the fifth, um, the mayor of Washington, D.C., had Black Lives Matter painted in giant yellow letters on 16th Street. She also renamed the street in front of the White House to Black Lives Matter Plaza. While photos and videos of this act of defiance went viral, the D.C. chapter of Black Lives Matter criticized um, Bowser on Twitter. So, so this mayor 
um, very outward thin to sort of designate and maybe kind of like fight back at the president saying like, hey, you know, this road to your house is named after this movement that you've, you know, spoken out countless times against, but also, you know, sent out some National Guard to sort of tear gas them a week prior. So that was a very visible thing. But people in the Black Lives Matter movement are kind of coming at her because, you know, getting a street named after you is great. MLK has a ton of streets named after them, but like a lot of things he was fighting for still hasn't really been achieved. So we want to make sure we get those policies and not just like a visible show of like solidarity from those that are empowered to do so. Um, on Friday, the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, apologized for the league's past treatment of players who spoke out against racism, saying that the league believes, quote unquote, black lives matter. So NFL, you know, that was a source of Colin Kaepernick and his protests um, and pretty much their refusal to have people kneel during games, um, even going up to the president countless times coming after the NFL and making that a social political issue. The vice president making that doing a political stunt on that. Um, so there's a lot that, you know, now they're saying, I don't know how that's going to change this coming season if they're just going to be like, well, we don't we're not going to stop our players from kneeling if they want to kneel, which is a very basic, you know, thing to do. But so we'll see. People are saying, like, if you believe Black Lives Matter, then hire Colin Kaepernick or stop or give him a job. So we'll we'll see. But these are a lot of things. It's not really necessarily the goal, but these things won't have happened if people weren't inconvenienced for two weeks. It's crazy because it's like, um, let me just finish here. Democrats backed a bill in the House called Justice and Policing, which, you know, is trying to bring about there's some reform language in there. Um, there's some language about like there's it's just kind of a bit of reforms, um, not necessarily, you know, the goal there, but you can see that this protest triggered them to put up a bill and hopefully you can pressure the Senate to actually like also sign it and then like have the president sign it. But you can see like how much it takes just to even get the Democrats to put a bill like this up. People have been clamoring for this since 2014, but it takes a while to get into the ear of these national politicians because they have all these lobbyists whose job it is to like get them to do what they want to do for their industry sector that they're in. Um, Mitt Romney, a Republican senator, marched with the protesters saying he, he says he believes Black Lives Matter, which is something you would never have thought you would hear of, which is a Republican senator actually with the protesters. Um, the curfews were canceled by the end of the, most of the curfews everywhere were canceled by the end of the weekend because, you know, if the police don't actually, like, respond violently to the protest, the people are just going to march. They're just marching. 99, 100% of them don't want to do any looting. There are random people who took the chance, took advantage of the opportunity to loot, and maybe some random protesters may have, but like 99, 100% of them just wanted to march, just wanted to make this statement 
um, that George, there needs to be some accountability for George Floyd's murder. And there are other, also Bayonna Taylor, when I remember her, because people are still marching, mentioning her name because those cops, and it's been longer for her, they haven't been arrested. So you can see like, while there is some progress, there's still much that needs to be done or much that's left to, uh, that's like desired um, from this. Uh, yeah, so um, one of the things that's also going to happen that happened in 2014 is that like there's this going to be this new generation of people who are now politically active based on their kind of um, acting along or sort of participation in these protests. Now they're going to be more active and they're going to be more because they now feel like, hey, we may we did some stuff and like some changes happening, some things are brought about. Now they're going to be more hopeful to do to like push more in the future, which will hopefully like also like keep this momentum going such that we can get to a spot where we pass a huge legislation like um, the civil rights era where. Is this bill that kind of like defines an era? Um, so that's where we want to go. And like I was saying, what the activist, what the protest is for, it's about a few things. Accountability in the government is the main thing, is the overriding thing. Defunding the police. And that's something that's sounds, like I said, it sounds, oh, that's, oh my goodness, that's so radical. You don't want to have any police. Defunding, like, once again, it's what's been going on in other aspects of the government budget when it comes to things that matter to people. Schools, you know, you know, go from elementary school all the way to universities. Those budgets have been slashed. Um Healthcare costs, like it's one political party's dream every time they get in power is to cut Medicare and Medicaid, Social Security, like all these things that matter. We've been slicing down its portion of like our GDP on terms of how what we spend on it, but all the while still increasing like the number of police and the cost and the amount of funding we give to the police. Um, yeah, and then also uh, providing more funding to social institutions. So that is what people want. Um, what I want to leave you guys with today is this: riots are the lang is the language of the unheard. The George Floyd protests. Um, Raise the national consciousness of the issue of police brutality once again, and we're starting to see some tangible results. Um, thanks to the Black Lives Matter movement and grassroots organizing, um, this is their struggle. This was them struggling, and now we've got some progress. So, to get what we want from our government officials, we must demand it. A friend of mine used to say, if we can fix the Congo, we can fix any country in Africa.
Congo has tribalism. Congo is like this place that's just like a mix of all the problems you could potentially find in any other country. It's tribalism. Um, it has its precious minerals, resources, oil, absent government, outbreak. It had the Congo Wars, where the second one was known as um, as being like the African World War, pretty much. So this is what Congo is, and if we can address it, we can fix any country. I like to add to that and say if we can fix race relationships in America, we can address injustice in the world. Because in order to address um, race relations in America, um, the U.S. is going to have to come to terms with what it is and what it has been um, and show empathy to those that it has mistreated. This is both political parties. Uh, This is going to be a future topic, but I think the U.S. needs to have its own Truth and Reconciliation Commission about slavery, about the treatment of Native Americans, Jim Crow, tough on crime policing, and it needs to be very public. There needs to be a public acknowledgement, not just by self-serving corporations that just wants to, you know, sound nice. But like the government needs to accept its own role in all this. And I think the U.S. is uniquely placed in the world where if the changes that happen here will get magnified. Case in point is recently with the protests and along with that, um, they demanded that the statues of like the Confederate soldiers be removed. This is now being carried on in other countries across the world, in the UK, in Belgium, where protesters there are also making their own demands, similar to the ones being made in the US, um, about their statues and their and coming to terms with their past as well. So that's the end, episode one. Join the conversation. Um, I'd like to continue this conversation. You can reach out to us on Twitter at sociallyaware9. Um, email your questions or suggestions for future guests to asksociallyaware at gmail.com. And you can help support this podcast at um, www, sorry, not at, but www.patreon.com slash sociallyaware. All right. See you guys next time. It's still recording, so you Oh wait, I stopped. Feel free to say the lines. No, I want to start over. Take two. Socially aware. Episode one. When the looting starts. It's not a great plan. Alright, you can go. Socially aware, episode one. When the looting starts. <laughs>